Thank you for joining us for the Tucson Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Armstrong. This podcast features the messages from the teaching and preaching ministry at our church. Tucson Baptist Church is located in Tucson, Arizona, and we are committed to loving God, growing together, and reaching our community. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit TucsonBaptist.com. We pray that today's message is an encouragement to you. Our Bibles to Judges chapter number six. Um, I'm reminded of a verse in Romans. And in Romans chapter 15, verse four, the Bible says, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we Christians through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. As we look at the Old Testament, many times we think that's back then. What, what, how can that apply to me today? And this morning through Judges, we are gonna look at attributes of an engaged Christian. And we're gonna look at the study, of, we're gonna look at Gideon and we'll go through Judges chapter six, seven and eight and look at Judge, or, uh, Gideon's life and see how we also can uh, see how God used him and how God can use us as well. Well, there in Judges chapter six, I invite your attention to verse number 11. And the Bible says this, and there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was in Ophrah, that pertained unto Joash the Abiezerite, uh, and his son Gideon thrust by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him, Gideon, and said unto him, the Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, then why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles, which our fathers told us of saying, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him and said, go in this thy might and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee. Notice verse number 15. Gideon says unto the Lord, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. Would you join me as we open in prayer? Father, We come this morning in need of a touch from you. We need a word from you. And Lord, every one of us are on a journey of the Christian life. And many of us, Lord, we get to a point where we see, we have seen your hand work. And now Lord, we're faced with another battle and we're tired. We don't know how to progress. We don't know how to go forward. But Lord, I pray that this morning that you'll speak to every one of us this morning and we will learn that you are the God who calls us, you are the God who enables us, and you're the God that enables us to also see a victory in your timing, in your way. Lord, I ask that you'll be with this message, that you'll be honored and glorified, and that'll be an encouragement to everyone this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 
And this morning, it is my desire to look at the story of Gideon to see what trials he faced, the, the battles he won, the God he was empowered by, and ultimately see how he was, the, and see how we as Christians can also be used by God and see the power of God in our lives. Join me this morning there in Judges chapter six as we see the first attribute in verse number 13. We see this morning that an, an engaged Christian understands the enemy. An engaged Christian understands the enemy. Here in, in Judges chapter six, verse number 13, Gideon is called by the Lord. And he's kind of taken back because he wasn't in a place where he was about to pray. But the Lord showed up to him and, and Gideon begins responding to the Lord. And, and he says, oh, my Lord, Lord, if you are who you, who you say you are, the Bible says this, then why is all of this befallen us? And he comes to God and he, he cries out to the Lord and, and he's saying, why are you allowing this to happen to us? But what exactly is the, the this? Well, he finishes at the last part of the verse and he says, you have delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Who are the Midianites? Why, why, why is that a bad thing? And here we find Gideon praying and asking the Lord some pretty honest questions. Do you know that we could go to the Lord with our honest questions? When the times that we're going through don't make sense, we can go and we can petition the Lord and we can say, God, I don't understand what you're doing. Lord, why have you put me in this situation? God, what exactly are you doing? And, and Gideon remembered that his forefathers some 300 years ago were able to see God deliver the children of Israel out of bondage in Egypt. And now yet here they are again in bondage under the very same people. Why would God allow something bad to happen to them? He genuinely asked, and why is all of this befallen us? So who exactly were the Midianites that it was such a big deal? Well, some 300 years before this, uh, this prayer by Gideon, the Israelites had settled and began to mix and to marry and intermingle with both the Moabites and the Midianites. Both of these groups, however, were forbidden by God to intermix with the Israelites because both groups, the Moabites and the Midianites, worshiped the false prophet of Baal. And in Numbers chapter 25, we won't turn back there, but in Numbers chapter 25, God tells the Israelites that they need to separate from and they need to kill the Midianites so they do not continue to turn the hearts of the Israelites from God Almighty and to the false prophet of Baal. Ultimately, in Numbers chapter 31, Moses leads the Israelites to kill all those people that God had, had uh, to kill all of the Midianites. However, now in our passage, some 300 years later, the Midianites are back into the scene. And God tells them in, in, in Judges chapter six, verse six, Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. Israel had fallen back into the state where they were, they were forsaking God, they were turning to idols. And because of their sin, God allowed them to be under the captivity of the Midianites once again. The Midianites destroyed the crops that Israel had planted and they took what, what, whatever was left over. They confiscated the livestock and Israel was greatly limited in both their physical nourishment as well as their financial well-being because of the captivity they were under with the Midianites. This is exactly why in verse number 11, Gideon is in the wine press threshing wheat because the Bible says to hide it from the Midianites because the Midianites would confiscate they would take anything and everything that Israel produced but additionally the Israelites allowed the Midianite culture to influence their day-to-day -day lives 
And this was a problem. It wasn't necessarily that they were overpowering and they took everything from Israel. No, the problem was and what God wanted to eliminate was the culture of the Midianites influencing the Israelite culture. The Midianites, we know that they were known to worship the false god, the false god Baal. However, they also had a highly, a highly pagan culture. They practiced child sacrifices, prostitution, bestiality, and other sexual perversions that, that were commonly accepted in the culture. But the Israelites knew that back in Leviticus chapter, or chapter 18, that God had forbidden them from doing all of those sorts of sinful acts. And yet here they were marrying, intermingling, and spending time with the, uh, the Midianites. The culture of the Midianites had infiltrated the Israelites. And here we see Gideon was sick of the perversion that had happened and he cried out to God and he asked God to help fight the enemy. In the 1800s at the Battle of Trufalgar, the, the British Admiral Nelson heard about two of his officers that were fighting. And they were so upset with each other. They were so mad at each other that they, all were, they were about to kill each other with their own swords. And Admiral Nelson stepped in and he said, stop, look across the bay. Do you see those ships over there? They are the enemy. You know, I fear that many Christians, we do not understand who the real enemy is. We look around the room and maybe some of us have different preferences when it comes to music, or we have different preferences when it comes to dress. And, and we say, oh, there are the enemy. But listen, our brothers and sisters in Christ are not the enemy. The other churches in town are not the enemy. Our enemy is not anyone or anything other than the devil and his demons. And Gideon was able to see the victory because he was able to identify who the enemy was. And that enemy was wreaking havoc in his country. Can I tell you that the devil, the demons who is wreaking havoc and the Israelites some 2000 years ago is still alive and he's still well and he is wreaking havoc in our country today. As an engaged Christian, it is incredibly important that you understand who the enemy is and how he is infiltrating your home. And this morning, if I could be frank this morning, the, the, the devil is infiltrating our, our culture. The devil is infiltrating our homes and he's doing it through social media. He's doing it through entertainment. He's doing it through technology and he's doing it through our humanistic culture and philosophy. And he's doing a great job at it. And in order for you to have victory, you as a Christian have to be vigilant and see how the devil is impacting your life. And this is exactly why in 1 Peter 5 verse 8, the Bible says, be sober, be aware, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. But here in Judges chapter six, I wanna bring to light a small point. Notice with me in verse number 25 through 32. Verse number 25 through 32. So now Gideon up to this point has prayed to God and he says, God, okay, I don't think you can use me, but yet you've called me. So what am I gonna do now? So here's what God's first command was. Verse 25 says this, and it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, take thy father's young bullock, even the 
excuse me, even the second bullock of seven years old and throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath and cut down the grove that is by it. God tells Gideon to go against his father and tear down the altar his father set up to worship the foreign god, Baal. You see, Gideon was frustrated because he looked around and he said, my culture, the, the, the land that I love, the people that I love have turned their back on God. But even more grieving to Gideon, he'd said, my own father and family, the one who taught me the Pentateuch, that Deuteronomy chapter six, I'm supposed to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul and mind. Now the same dad that taught me that is now worshiping Baal and has erected an idol to worship this false God. Gideon was so passionate about following God and striving for godliness and righteousness that he was willing to go against his own family. I wanna bring a point here, Christian homes, Christian families, mom and dad, husband and wife. As you begin to notice how the devil has infiltrated your home, may you too be more focused on bringing righteousness and godliness into your home more than keeping the peace within your home. Many times we don't wanna say anything because we enjoy having peace inside the home. We enjoy having unity in the side of the home. But may we as Christians, as engaged Christians, be more focused on bringing righteousness and godliness into our home that we are willing to upset the apple cart a little bit that we're willing to bring something to the forefront. Because as I continue to say, peace at the expense of righteousness and godliness will ultimately lead to no peace. Maybe we might say, well, I don't wanna say anything because I wanna keep there, I want there to be peace in the home. I promise you, if that peace is at the expense of godliness and unrighteousness and righteousness, there will be no peace at all. Gideon had to go against his father to ultimately bring about the delivery and deliverance that God had commanded him. Engaged Christians have to understand who the enemy is and be willing to do anything to stop him from having an entrance into our lives. But notice secondly with me this morning, there in verse 14, not only does an engaged Christian understand the enemy, secondly, an engaged Christian discerns his calling. An engaged Christian discerns his calling. There in verse number 14, Gideon, or verse 13, Gideon cries in the Lord, says, God, what are you gonna do? Lord, I've been burdened about my people and I don't know what's the next step. Notice with me there in verse 14, God says unto Gideon, the Lord looked upon him and said, go in this thy might and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? Now, if you picture with me and, and I like to, when I th read the story and, and read the Bible, I, I like kind of put my own uh, thoughts into it and imaginations into it. I could just imagine Gideon saying, uh, nope, that's not what I asked God. In fact, I asked for you to do something. You're the God and I'm just a, I'm a little peasant boy. I'm the youngest one from Manasseh and the youngest one in my family. I can't do anything. Kind of sounds like Moses several 300 years earlier says, God, God I, I can't, I can't speak. I can't, don't, don't, don't use me. But here's what I learned from this is that an engaged Christian discerns his calling. After Gideon prays and asks God to help, 
God immediately answers his prayer request and places a great calling on Gideon's life. Gideon noticed the problem and asked for a solution, but God already had a solution and his name was Gideon. And the only way for the solution or the problem to be fixed was for someone who had a burden to cry out to God to open that door for God's answered prayer. This certainly was not exactly what Gideon had in mind. However, God allowed Gideon to have a burden that ultimately led to a calling in his life. In the 1850s, William Booth was a minister in England. And he was there and he would see, he would preach and he was able to see many people come to know the Lord as their savior there within the church. However, as he would go about in the community there in East London, he would begin to see that there's a lot of homeless people a lot of poor, a lot of destitute people. And he began to walk the streets of London and see these very people. He ultimately saw the need and, and began preaching to the poor, the homeless, the hungry, and the destitute. And he saw God at work and decided to continue this ministry no matter what it ultimately cost him and his ministry there in the church. Well, many after, or many of the other ministers there in the church that he was in began to take exception to what he was doing. They took exception to the means in which he was preaching the gospel and, and that he was going into the streets, not bringing them into the church. And, and uh, William Booth and his wife says, this is so important to us, that they ended up resigning from the church and going strictly into this ministry. And he went full-time into this ministry. His work gained momentum and ultimately went worldwide. You know, some 170 years later, the Salvation Army still exists. And part of their mission statement that William Booth started is this. The Salvation Army is motivated by the love of God. Its mission is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and to meet human needs in his name without discrimination. William Booth saw this, the, the, the poor, the destitute, the homeless, and he could said, man, we need to start a ministry at our church and I'm gonna have someone start the ministry. He could have said, man, I, I hope that my church sees that need and they take care of it. He could have said that, but he said, he said, no, God has placed that need on my heart. So therefore God has called me to do it and I am going to go follow and let God do something through my life. In what areas of your life are you burdened? What areas have you looked at and said, I sure wish someone did something about that. I wish someone would lead this ministry to the, the homeless people at our church. I wish someone would lead this ministry to the, this ministry. I wish someone would do this. May I just say this morning, if God has placed a burden on your heart, perhaps he is placing a calling on your life. If God has placed a burden on your heart, maybe he has placed a calling on your life. An engaged Christian understands the enemy, discerns his strength, and knows thirdly with me this morning in Judges uh, 16, or chapter 17 through 21, that an engaged Christian remembers his strength. An engaged Christian remembers his strength. So now we have Gideon. He's called by God and says, wait a second, God, I don't think that I'm the guy for the job. God reaffirms and says, no, you are the one for the job. I'm going to lead you and you are gonna lead the children of Israel against the mighty hand of Midian. Well, I think if we're honest, whenever God asks us to do something that requires us to, to follow by faith, many times we could say, 
Lord, I need you to kind of write it in the stars for me. <laughs> I need you to do something for me and so I can tangibly see your hand of work and that I can confirm that that's what you called me to do. Well, that's exactly what happened here. Verse number 17 through 21, and Gideon said unto him, God, if now I have found grace in thy sight, then show me a sign that thou talkest with me. Depart not hence, I pray thee, until I come unto thee and bring forth my present and set it before thee. And he said, I will tarry until thou come again. And Gideon went in and made ready a kid and eleven cakes of an ephah of flour. The flesh he put in the basket, and he put on the, the broth in a pot and he brought it out unto him under the cloak and presented it. And the angel of God said unto him, take the flesh and the unleavened cakes and lay them upon this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put forth the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the flesh and the unleavened cakes and there rose up fire out of the rock and consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes. Then the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. But then verse number 22 says, and when Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord, Gideon said, alas, O Lord God. Once God called Gideon, he quickly reminded God that he was not worthy for such a calling. He reminded God because God needs reminding that, that he was the youngest of his family, that his family was poor from Manasseh. And he basically says, thank you God for the offer, but clearly I don't have what it takes. And God, I, in order for me to do this, I need you to prove to me that you want me to do this. However, despite the lack of qualifications in Gideon's eyes, God still had called him to lead Israel in battle against this group of people that overwhelmed Israel in both numbers and dominance. So in this passage, God reveals his strength to him and, he, and he, he does this miracle through the angel of the Lord. And Gideon says, alas, O God, I, I perceive that you are who you say you are. I perceive that you are gonna give me the strength. But then in verses 36 through 40, again, Gideon needed God's affirmation and confirmation that this is what God wanted him to do. And God met that need as well. And, and, and we see there that he put out the fleece and, and, and he made it wet and everything else dry. And then the next morning made it dry when everything else was wet. Three times between the calling and the deliverance, God, or that three times Gideon questions his calling, but each time he was reminded that his strength was to fulfill the calling ultimately. And God was gonna empower him to do just that. You see, when you discern God's calling on your life, it's okay for you to ask God for additional confirmation for that calling. And I can promise you from personal testimony that God will answer those prayer requests if he has led you through that door. I remember in 2020, and during the height of COVID, I began reading, um, well, I didn't begin reading, I began re reading some uh, news articles about how in Pima County and Tucson specifically, that mental health was, was increasing drastically. Suicides were increase, uh, increasing drastically. And, and I remember reading a, an article on a news site that in, in the month of March, that there was one suicide for every day in the month of March. And that broke my heart. And I'm like, man, someone needs to start a counseling ministry in Tucson. Someone needs to, to go out and do something about it. And I begin praying, I'm like, Lord, let us partner with someone who could come and, and, can, and we could support them and we can, we, can, we can help them so they can go out and counsel people. Because I think a lot of marriages and families understand that they have problems in their marriages and they, they need somewhere to go. But a lot of people don't realize that their, their issue or their problem is that they don't have a relationship with God. 
And so I wonder, I'm like, Lord, help there to be a Christian counseling center to where we can point people to, where they can hear about help for their marriage, hear about help for their families, but also hear about the help for their soul. And I began praying about it. And, and, and just like Gideon, I'm like, Lord, help someone else to do it. I just felt the Lord saying, no, Jonathan, maybe this is your calling. Maybe this is something that you should do. I'm like, well, I, I don't think I'm qualified for it. I know that. And I began praying and, and, I, and I told pastor and I, I, had, I set up a meeting with him. I'm like, uh, I said, dad, pastor. <laughs> I said, I, I just really feel like this is just a, 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 a burden that God has set on my heart. And he says, well, let's, let's continue to pray and, and God will show signs and God will, God will clearly open doors. And I said, okay, sounds great. A couple months later, uh, he says, hey, I, I think uh, you should go back and get your master's in Christian counseling. I'm like, are you gonna do the homework for me? <laughs> I'm like, uh, what's this gonna, he's like, no, I think you should do it. And I'm like, okay, I, I'll pray about it. And uh, so take that step of faith and we do that. And, and God has, in, in, his, in his providence has paid for that way to, for that to happen. And I've had to pay a penny out of my pocket for it. And I'm like, Lord, how is this possible? And God's confirming that calling on my life. Several months ago, I was at a great restaurant called Neaters. And uh, I was with a missionary here, a missionary that was coming in uh, that had just come off the, the mission field. And uh, he's like, so tell me about what's, what are you passionate about? I'm like, well, I, a couple years ago, God put on my heart about this, this, uh, this uh, ministry to start a counseling center and, and all this stuff. And, and uh, he looked at his wife and just got the biggest smile on his face and said, should you tell him the good news? And I'm like, they are moving to Tucson to start a counseling center and we can support them with our financial dollars and they could do the work. I'm like, man, God is great. <laughs> well, that's not what they said. In fact, what they said was, we have a donor that, uh, well, we, we, we partner with the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors. And it's a nationally known um, uh, organization that certifies Christian counselors. And he says, we are passionate about counseling and we want to help you go through the certification process and we'll pay for 100% of it. I'm like, okay, Lord, I didn't ask for that. <laughs> I want them to come. And, uh, and, and, I, and I don't tell you this, to say anything about Jonathan. But I can promise you when God puts a calling on your life, God will affirm that calling in his time and in his way. Not that I needed affirmation, but this week I was, as I was writing this message on Friday, I was meeting with one of the guys here in our church and we've been having a weekly counseling. I looked at my phone right after and that same missionary texted me, he says, hey, I want you to come to North Carolina this week and I want you to be a part of our counseling seminar. And I'm like, okay, Lord, I can't run away from your calling. I can't run away from your confirmation. You know, that's exactly what happened with Gideon. Gideon says, God, I can't do it. I'm poor. I'm the youngest. Can you imagine me, the youngest in my family leading people? No, everybody thinks that I'm a brat. No, one, no one's gonna follow me, God. And God says, no, 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 no. I know what I'm doing. In fact, I'm gonna confirm it three separate times. And I'm gonna confirm that you are the one who is gonna follow me and who's gonna see the Israelites have deliverance over the Midianites. I don't tell the story about me to lift up anything I've done, but to show the greatness of God. 
Gideon began praying for God to do something, but ultimately had to come to grips that the burden he felt for a problem that he saw was ultimately him discerning his calling and understanding where his power came from. You see, because it was nothing that Gideon was going to do. It was nothing that Gideon could do that was going to bring about the deliverance that they were going to see. It was solely the power of Jehovah God that was gonna work through Gideon to see the victory that they were about to see. Notice with me, fourthly, this, this morning as we, as we hurry, uh, notice with me there the first eight verses of chapter seven of Judges. Notice, fourthly, that an engaged Christian responds in faith. An engaged Christian responds in faith. Verse number two, the Bible says, And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people are with thee are too many for, my, for me to give them many nights in hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. Can you imagine this? Gideon, Gideon says, okay, God, I don't wanna do it. God, I don't wanna do it. God, I don't wanna do it. Finally, Gideon says, okay, Lord, I know I'm not the right guy, but thankfully I've got an army of 23,000 that can go against the Midianites. And God says, okay, now that you've confirmed your calling, I've got another plan. Now I want you to say, I want you to see that your army is way too big. In fact, in the, the first several verses of chapter eight, we see that the army of 23,000 whittles down to a mere 300. Gideon says, Lord, I, I don't know exactly that you know what you're doing. God, do you understand who the Midianites are? The Bible says that their camels were as sand in the desert. That means they were innumerable. They couldn't count how many there were. The people were innumerable. They were massive. And yet God was going to give the victory through 300 people. An engaged Christian responds in faith. I believe that there was no pushback from Gideon because he ultimately believed the promise that God gave him in Judges 6, verse 16 that we just read. God told Gideon, surely I will be with thee and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. God had promised the victory and now Gideon just simply had to walk by faith. You know, I think many of us, we have to walk by faith in our day-to-day -day lives. We get married and we enjoy the benefits of marriage, but then we're like, wait a second, I have to love my wife. Do you know what she did to me? God, you says I have to love my wife. Wives, I have to respect my husband. God, I don't think you know what you're talking about. You don't know this bozo that I married. But yet God says in order for us to have the victory, we have to walk by faith. We have to do what God has commanded us to do. And maybe as a parent, you say, there's hope for a lot of kids, but my kid, not quite sure. The Bible says this, know that we are supposed to train up a child in the way he should go. That we should love our children and we should parent through faith that God will ultimately give the victory. When it comes to the area of giving, we say, God, uh, look in that bank account now, there's no way I could give to you. There's no way that I could do it, but God says, I want you to give by faith. Don't give by sight, give by faith. God loveth a cheerful giver and we say, okay, Lord, I'm gonna give by faith comes to witnessing and sharing the gospel. And we say, Lord, I've, I've told the gospel to them about a thousand times every way I could. And they're still not getting it. Does that mean we stop? No, we continue to witness. In our relationships with other brothers and sisters in Christ, we say, yeah, that person, I'm not gonna have a relationship with him. But the Bible says that we are supposed to forgive as it has been forgiven you. 
And all throughout our entire life, we as Christians, as engaged Christians, have to respond in faith because what God has asked us to do many times doesn't make sense. We can't understand how that's gonna do anything that God wants us to do. But yet God says, walk by faith and I will give you the victory because of your faith. Not by what you're doing, but because of the faith in which you act. Notice quickly as we close this, this morning in verse, or the fifth aspect or the fifth attribute of an engaged Christian. Pursues until the end. An engaged Christian pursues until the end. Notice quickly with, with me in verse number four of chapter eight. So up until this point, we see Gideon respond by faith and the 300 men, they go and they surround the Midianites and, and they see the victory. Many of the Midianites were killed that very night, but some of the Midianites had fled and they got away, namely two kings. Now we see there in uh, verse number 25, there are two kings that, that got away. But the fifth aspect, the fifth attribute of an engaged Christian is this. An engaged Christian pursues until the end. An engaged Christian pursues until the end. You see, Gideon and the Midianites, or the Gideon and the Israelites were able to see a great victory. However, God's command to the, to the Israelites was for them to kill all of the Midianites. They saw a great victory. But if you remember, what were the Midianites doing to the Israelite people? They took all of their crops. They took all of their livestock. They took all of their nourishment. And the Bible says here that the Israelites, they were up for many days and, and they were faint. They were tired. Verse number four says, and Gideon came to Jordan and passed over he and the 300 men that were with him, faint yet pursuing them. I gotta be honest with you, those three words, faint yet pursuing, stopped me in my tracks when I read this, this passage. The Israelites, they were tired. They just saw God do a great victory, but the victory had yet not been given because Gideon knew that a task left unfinished meant that the task was not finished. God had commanded them to kill all of the Midianites and there were several that got away. And so he and the 300 men pursued despite the fatigue that they were experiencing. However, they continued to press forward until the end because they believed in God's calling and leading regardless of their tiredness. But additionally, they were tired, but Gideon was also facing discouragement. Because in verse number one here, or notice in verse number one of chapter eight, the men of Ephraim, Gideon goes and says, hey, the Midianites are killed. And they says, hey, wait a second, why didn't you call us? And the Bible says here that they were, that they chided with him sharply. They were mad at Gideon. Gideon just saw a victory, but now he was facing discouragement because there were people that were upset with him. So he was tired and he was discouraged as well. Both discouragement and fatigue had set in, but the task was not finished, so they still pursued. You know, flags are an interesting thing. We have an American flag and a, a Christian flag on our stage. Flags can mean dominance, but they can also mean defeat. Mean defeat. In fact, when Neil Armstrong, I wanna claim that I'm related to him somehow, but when he landed on the moon, Armstrong, Armstrong, okay. When he landed on the moon, uh, he planted a flag because he wanted to say, America, we were here first. Dominance. 
but also throughout battles, there are people who had to rip off their shirts and tie a white piece of cloth to the top and wave the flag of defeat, surrender. Every one of us this morning, as an engaged Christian, we have a flag. See, the children of Israel and Gideon, they were over here and they saw a great victory. They were in the land of good. They were able to see majority of the Gideon or the Midianites die. God promised that. So they were in the land of good. But like I said, Gideon knew that a task unfinished was a task that was not finished. And God told him to kill all of the Midianites. So he knew that he had to pursue unto the land of completion. And this morning, as we close, I want us to remember that every one of us also have a flag in our life. But when we move from the land of good, I've got a good marriage. We don't fight every day. We're financially, we're not in debt a lot. We're, we're good. But listen, God doesn't want us to remain in the land of good. God wants us to go to the oasis of godly. And so we as Christians need to pursue and go into the land of godly. But I can promise you that there's gonna be fatigue because we just saw God work and we say, God, you're great, but God still wants to take that next step of obedience. God still wants to take that next step of action. So there'll be fatigue, there'll be discouragement. And I can promise you this, there will be trials. This is why in Ephesians chapter six, Paul tells the church in Ephesians, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil or the attacks of the devil. And he goes, I say, for we as Christians, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Then he goes on to say, wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. But then he goes on and it says this, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all of the fiery darts of the wicked. And I could promise you this morning that if you desire to go to the land of God, you're gonna to have to pick up your flag and movement against the kingdom of darkness will bring attacks from the kingdom of darkness. And the moment that you bring your flag, you say, I wanna have a godly marriage and we're gonna be in church and I wanna have godly kids and they're gonna be at church and we are gonna honor God in our finances and we're gonna honor God in praying and we're gonna honor God and we are gonna be godly, I promise you that you're gonna have attacks along the way. But just like Gideon had to respond in faith, so too we as engaged Christians have to respond in faith. And if our actions are, as a res if our actions are rooted in faith, then our shield of faith will protect us from the fiery darts of the wicked. See, Gideon was able to see a victory because he responded in faith in spite of all of the discouragement around him. Can I encourage you this morning not to dwell in the land of good, 